Precious Father in heaven, we thank you again, Lord, for this opportunity to worship you. Lord, I know in a very real way that as I stand here behind this pulpit to deliver your word that I am unworthy, that I am unable, that I am frail, and that I am foolish. Father, in spite of those things, in spite of my shortcomings, Lord, we as a church ask that you would speak to us. God, that the words that flow forth this morning would be your words. That my words would be stopped, Father. That you would teach us from your word, from the perfect word that you have preserved through generations at the expense of lives of Christian brothers and sisters over thousands of years. Lord, speak to us from your holy and precious word. God, every word is true and we believe it. Your word can divide even soul and spirit. And so we ask that you would do that this morning. That your word would pierce us to our very hearts. God, that you would encourage us where we need encouragement. You would challenge us where we need challenging. You would comfort us where we are hurting. Lord, you would also, Father, convict us where we are wrong. Lord, we ask these things knowing that they are all possible through the power of your Holy Spirit. Speaking your word. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you have a Bible with you this morning, I invite you to take and turn with me to the book of Ephesians. The book of Ephesians. If you are unfamiliar with the Bible, we are in the New Testament. That's the back half, the back portion of the Bible. In the New Testament, you have four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. You've got Acts, the Acts of the Apostles. You've got Romans, 1st and 2nd Corinthians. Then you have the General Electric Power Company. That's the only way I can remember the right order for these letters. So we are in the electric of the General Electric Power Company. All right, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. We're in Ephesians. We're in chapter 3. If you don't have a Bible, feel free to borrow one from the pew in front of you. If you don't own a Bible, feel free to take that Bible. It is our gift to you, and we will replenish it with another. We have plenty. I promise that is just a gift from us to you. If you don't have a copy of Scripture in pages, I say the word paginated, I get in trouble. So if you don't have a book-bound copy, you can follow along on your iPad, on your phone, or on the screens. But however you're accessing the Word, I would ask if you're physically able, would you please stand out of reverence to the public reading of God's Holy Word as we begin together in the book of Ephesians, chapter 3, starting in verse 1. After I have read I will say this is the word of the Lord. I encourage you to respond with the phrase, thanks be to God. Ephesians chapter 3, beginning in verse 1, the word of the Lord says, For this reason I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly. When you read this, You can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. To me, 
Though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant to you to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now, to Him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us to bring him to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Folks, we turn to Ephesians chapter 3 this morning because Ephesians chapter 3 is where we will spend some time that will lead us into the little book that everybody has a copy of now. And you will need that book for the next three weeks. We will be doing three sermons that will tie back to this book. And as you flip through that book, you'll notice that every point, every heading, every subheading has a scripture reference at the end of it. This is who we are as Bethany Baptist Church. Not a building, not a property, not a set of buildings, not a campus, but the people that make up this local church, this body of believers. That's the language that's used in the New Testament. And so I wanted to spend a few Sundays to start off 2020, the year 2020, to set the tone for the year for us by going over what it means to be a member of a part of this body of believers. Now, this this booklet you have is a a slightly edited version that's been updated, but we typically give this in a binder form to everybody who seeks membership with our church, who seeks to become a part of this body. But it's very important for us not to just say, this is how church has always been done, and so this is how church is supposed to be done. What's important that we do is look to Scripture to see what Christ instructs of us as far as how we relate to one another, how we exist and coexist as a church family. And so we're going to spend some time doing our best to dive into what it means to be a Christian, what it means to be a church member, and more specifically, what it means to be a member of Bethany Baptist Church. And so we start our discovery into this in Ephesians chapter 3. It's a very wordy chapter, okay? There's a lot going on, but the mention of the church is very thorough throughout the whole book of Ephesians. 
You see, the word for church is also the word in Greek for congregation. It's also the word in Greek for assembly. So if you look at the Greek translation of the Old Testament that's called the Septuagint, that word for church actually shows up in the Old Testament as well. It shows up 104 times in the Old Testament. It shows up 74 times in the New Testament. The church is extremely important to the Lord. He gives us instruction throughout His Bible, the books that He passed down to us. 39 Old Testament, 27 New Testament. 104 mentions in 39 books. 74 mentions in 27 books. The church is a hot topic in Scripture. And so we have to look at and understand what the purpose of the church is. And Ephesians chapter 3 helps us to see that. And I think what has happened in the United States, and especially in the Southeast, is we get really caught up in pet projects. And there are some really good pet projects, okay? But none of those pet projects, none of those para-church ministries are mentioned in the Bible. When it talks about the church, there's two types of references to the church. There's the universal church, which means everybody across all time and space who has ever believed in Jesus Christ. That's the church, all right? The Latin word for universal is Catholic. So in old creeds and confessions, you might hear the holy Catholic church, but they're just talking about the universal church. And not that the everybody will be saved as in universalism, the universal church. That means everybody who has ever believed in Jesus and repented of their sins and trusted in him, they're a part of the church. On the day of Pentecost, 3,000 people are added to the church. Those 3,000 people are part of the same universal church that you and I, who have believed in Jesus and repented of our sins, today are a part of. The second reference is to the local church. And we have examples and implications of the local church all throughout the New Testament. Every letter that Paul writes to specific churches gives us examples and mentions other local churches. So in the city of Corinth, there was a local body of believers. And that church was essential for numerous things. But what Paul talks about before we get to those details is that God intends to accomplish his purposes for the world through the church. All right, look with me again at verse 10. All right, this is Ephesians chapter 3, verse 10. So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in heavenly places. What Paul is talking about here is that now God has very specifically said the Gentiles are part of the church. The Gentiles are part of God's plan for salvation. He's been implying it for years throughout the Old Testament, even in where the nation of Israel was placed. If you were in any of the powerful nations in the ancient Near East, if you wanted to trade with anybody, you had to go through Israel. God made them a missionary nation from the start, but they missed a lot of God's implications. The implied message that God is for everyone, not just the Jews, was missed by a lot of the Jews. And so in the New Testament, God has now revealed in a much more specific and detailed way that the Gentiles, that's you and me, that's everybody who's not a Jew. The church is for the Gentiles, and the Gentiles are part of the church. 
So the New Testament makes it very clear and specific. And that gospel needs to be made known to rulers, to authorities, all across the world. And God and Paul says, the Holy Spirit inspires Paul to say that the church, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might be made known to the rulers and authorities in heavenly places. Look, I have nothing against a great men's ministry that is beyond a church, that is multiple churches together. I have nothing against a wonderful ladies' ministry or the women's missionary union or all of these other great youth ministries and student ministries and student events and all of these parachurch organizations that help us and put on camps and have mission projects and and go do great things. Those are wonderful and necessary. But what we tend to do is treat those as our church. And folks, I got to be honest with you, as much as I love Ironworks men's ministry, if you go to old school once a month and you think that's church, it's not. A group of men getting together is not the local church. The local church is made up of everybody. The local church is for every age. It's for every gender. It's for every color. It's for every ethnicity. It's for the babies. It's for the old fogies. It's for everybody in between. It's for the white person, the black person. It's the men. It's the women. It's the boys. It's the girls. It's all of us all together gathered as the congregation of God, the assembly of the people. When Moses called the assembly of the people together in the books of Exodus and in Deuteronomy, he doesn't say, all right, I just want the men and I want nobody else. I just want all the guys and I want all the old guys. If you're not 40 or older, you can't come to this meeting. When he gathers the whole assembly, it is specific in these verses. It says the whole assembly, everybody, old and young, every ethnicity, everyone who is a part of the assembly, gather together. And that's what we do as a church. God is using these other ministries in great ways, but they have to be anchored in the local church. We had missionaries that came and shared with us in the FFC this morning. They're they're here with us in the congregation. I don't want to point them out. I don't want to embarrass them. But I want you to know they couldn't go if not for the local church. As much as I love the International Mission Board, as much as I love the North American Mission Board and Launch Global and all these other missionary agencies, They're wonderful, but they cannot exist apart from being rooted and founded and supported and sustained by the local church. We don't send missionaries out on their own to just be Christians by themselves. And folks, I would submit to you as we walk through these verses and things together, there's a lot of people that I come in contact with that say, Pastor, let me tell you something. I I just, I, I want you to know, all right, I ain't a member of no church nowhere, all right? Me and Jesus, we all right. I'm saved, and me and Jesus, we just fine. I don't need nobody. I don't need no church. I don't need anybody telling me my business. I'm fine just as I am. I ain't getting a part of no country club where I got a Sam's Club membership card just to say that I'm a Christian and just to fit in down here. Me and Jesus, we are just fine. Well, that's great. That's wonderful. I'm glad glad for you. I'm, I'm glad you and Jesus are just fine, but there is no example in Scripture of a Christian who is off, severed by themselves, not attached to a local body. It's not in the Bible. The, the Bible refers to the church as the members of the body. We don't just have fingers floating out in space somewhere. Have you ever run across a finger in the middle of the road? Listen, my dad used to tell this terrible joke, and my mom believed it. I mean, hook, line, and sinker. My dad would sell this story at the dinner table, and my mama would be concerned about somebody that done lost their toe. 
Okay? My dad would say, well, Terry, I'll tell you what, today I, I was driving and making my sales routes, and, you know, I, I came across this cooler in the middle of the road. I stopped, got out of my car, and ran to the middle of the road, and I opened the cooler, and there was a toe on ice in this cooler. And all three of the kids were going, oh, good gracious, Dad, here we go again. And my mom's going, there was a toe in a cooler? Wayne, what'd you do? And my dad says, well, honey, I, I did the only thing I could think of. She said, you called an ambulance, didn't you? And he said, oh, no, honey, I just called the tow truck. Every night he had a different story just like that. You don't run into body parts just sitting in the middle of the road. And if you did, they ain't doing nothing on their own. Have you ever seen a toe kick a football through the, the, the middle of the uprights all by itself? No, it's got to be attached to a foot. The foot's got to be attached to a leg. The leg's got to be attached to a body. And that body's got to run up there and kick that ball. And if that body happens to be wearing an Alabama jersey, likelihood is we ain't going to hit that field goal, all right? So just to be sure and clarify for you. But the toe isn't going to do it on its own. You've got to be attached to a body. And listen, the universal church is great. And just to say, I'm a part of the universal church. I just fit in with all the great saints that done gone before us. It's good stuff. That's wonderful. But everywhere in the New Testament, there's a local church. There's a church in Corinth. There's a church in Thessalonica. There's a church in Ephesus. There's a church in Philippi. There's a church in Antioch. There's a church in Jerusalem. And all of these people, when they move from one place to another, when they move to the church in Rome, they send a letter from Philippi to Rome to say, this person really is a believer. You can trust them. They've really repented. And they are following Jesus. And they will be an asset to you at your local church. They didn't move to Rome and just wander around and go, well, now I've left my church. I'm just following Jesus and everything's going all right. Just me and Jesus. It's about being connected to a body of believers because Paul tells us by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit in verse 10 that all the goodness of this gospel, the revelation of Jesus Christ, the revelation that the gospel is for us and for Jews and for everybody in every nation and every tribe and every tongue, it's going to be made known through the church. So, folks, that's why we're going to take some time to look at what it means to be a member of a church. It's not a Sam's Club card. It's not a Costco card that you just pay a monthly membership for. Well, I sent them about $200 last year, so I think my membership's good at the church. That's the wrong attitude. If we hadn't seen you in a year, we should be meeting with you. We should be pulling you aside going, what's going on in your life, brother? What's going on in your life, sister? How can we walk alongside you? Why have you separated yourself from our fellowship? What's going on? I don't want your money if you're not going to show up. That's not what church is about. Let me just give them some money. All right? We've got to pay that preacher. I don't see that money. I get paid a salary, but you ain't paying me. Listen, show up. Be here. Be connected. This body needs you. You have gifts. You have talents. And when you wander away, we're going to chase you. Because we want you to be a part of the body of Christ. And listen, it's hard to live without your thumb. And you might be our thumb. All right? And you've done wandered off. And now I can't grab nothing. I don't have an opposable thumb no more. Folks, look around this congregation. The people here need you. You need them. And there's people outside these walls that think they're fine without a church. And they're wrong. We're not perfect. We're not going to get everything right. But we're family. And listen, it's okay if a member of your family picks up and moves across the nation, but then they ought to connect with other family members that are there. That's the examples we see in the New Testament. That's what Paul is talking about, that the gospel is going to go forward, but it's only going to go forward through the church. 
So with all that in mind, I'd like for you to take your books. We're, we're, we'll, we'll, we'll wrap up, okay? I, I, see, I see that clock. First page of your book. All right. Hey, if you ain't never walked around this campus, this is where it is. This is called the church campus. Be clear with me. This is not the church. I want you to look at your picture. All right? Your picture's probably in color. Might look a little better than mine. And I want you to say with me, this is not the church. Are you ready? One, two, three. This is not the church. All right? If you're a member of Bethany Baptist Church, I want you to say this with me. I am the church. On the count of three. If you're a member here at Bethany Baptist Church, I want you to say with me on the count of three. I am the church. Ready? One, two, three. I am the church. All right? This is the church campus. Can you say that with me on the count of three? One, two, three. This is the church campus. All right. We have confused that for decades. All right. My whole life I've said, well, I'm going down to the church. Well, is everybody going to be there? No, I'm just going to unlock the door. Then you ain't going to the church. You're going to the church campus. You're going where the people meet that are the church. The church gathers in this place, and then we scatter when we go out from it. If you ever wonder where everything is, here it is. All right. There's a room that we refer to called the multi-purpose room. Your homework for tonight. Find the multi-purpose room and know what we're talking about when we say it. All right? We're trying to make the name stick. Work with it. All right. You move to the next page. You're going to see the three things that we're going to work through in the next three weeks. All right? Page three, it should say our common salvation on page four. Our common organization on page seven. Our common identity on page 11. Today we're going to talk briefly about our common salvation. Turn that next page. All right, this is our common faith. What does it mean to be a Christian? Being a Christian does not mean being a good church member. Folks, there are plenty of wonderful, good people who are church members who are wolves in sheep's clothing. And maybe you're here this morning and you're listening to my voice and you know who you are. You're putting on a great show. You deserve an Oscar You are an award-winning actor for pretending like you're a Christian, but you know in your heart you're not. Just because you put on the good face and pretend to be a Christian, but know in your heart that you're not, that you've never believed, that you've never repented, and when you leave the presence of this fellowship, you return to a life of open and unrepentant sin that you've allowed to penetrate deep into your heart and you never confess it to the Lord, and you run from accountability, listen, that's not somebody who trusts in Jesus. Just because you're, quote-unquote, a good church member. Well, I give money to the church. Well, I I, I build stuff when they need stuff built. I, I usher sometimes and carry the usher. Hey, you know what? I'm a deacon at the church. I'm a good church member. I'm one of the deacons. Hey, let me take it one step further. Just so you know, I'm stepping on my own toes. I'm the pastor. I'm the lead pastor at the church. I'm a good church member. I mean, come on, I'm the pastor. That does not make me a Christian. Have you ever seen the movie where somebody, it's very very emotional, all right? It's very tear-jerky. We're not going to get into specifics, but there's movies where it, it depicts how when Christ returns and You know, somebody's working together in the field and one moment they were there and the other moment they were gone. They were laying in a bed together and and one of them was there and one of them was gone. And then somebody tries to find out what all's going on. A lost person runs down to the church and when they get to the church, there's the pastor. He knew it. All along, he preached it. He never believed it. Folks, people can put on a real good show. 
People can put on a real good show. But every single one of us will have to stand accountable before God Almighty as to what we believe and what we live. Just because you go through the motions of being a good church member doesn't mean that you're saved. Being a, good, being a Christian does not mean being a good person. There's a lot of people, especially down in good Christian culture, that we bury who are good people but were never righteous. There's a very big distinction between somebody being right with the Lord and somebody being a good person. I have a friend that I used to work with at Best Buy that to this day, I don't think he believes in Jesus, but folks, he's the best guy I've ever met. He makes it almost impossible to, to differentiate. Well, or, really, he, he's got to be a Christian, all right? He's got to be. Look, he does this, he does that. He's such a good guy, he'll give you the shirt off his back, but he's lost. He doesn't believe in anything. And he's destined to die and burn in hell one day because he's a good person, but he's not a righteous person. The only way to be righteous is described in the next few steps. It's to repent. It's to believe. It's to change our lives because our heart has been changed. Just because you're a good person doesn't mean you're going to heaven. I did more good stuff than I did bad, so surely I'm going to make it. No, there is no guarantee. It only takes one sin to separate you from the Father for all eternity. You can never do more good. I can never do enough good to overcome that. The next thing, next bullet point. Being a Christian does not mean having a family member who is a Christian. I love my children with all my heart. But the fact that I am a pastor, the fact that I believe in Jesus Christ, the fact that I've devoted my life to serving Him, and my wife has devoted her life to serving Him, and we've moved from our home, and all of those things, it does not guarantee that Micah, Luke, or Lily will believe in Jesus. They have to believe on their own. And I'm going to do everything in my power to make sure that they see that it's real and that they follow. I'm going to do everything in my power to disciple them and show them that Jesus loves them and that they should give their life to Him and go wherever He says to go and do whatever He says to do because He's worth it. But no matter how hard I try, they have to decide. You can't have a cousin or a granddaddy who was a preacher and think, oh, I'm going to be all right. You know, my uncle, he, uh, he really loved Jesus. I mean, he prayed all the time. He, he was one of the ones down front praying over the offering sometimes. I, I'm, I'm, good. I'm good. I'm going. Everything's all right. Doesn't mean it. You've got to believe it. I've got to believe it. Everybody's got to answer to God for themselves. All right, we continue. Being a Christian only means one thing. Believing on Jesus alone as your Lord and Savior and turning from your life of sin and repenting. Listen, God is the King. Another word for king is sovereign. He is the king. He is the ruler. He is the creator. He is the master. God is holy. There is no one and nothing like him in all of creation. Mankind, humanity, you and I, we are sinful. And every moment of our life, we have a sinful desire in our hearts. Our hearts are prone to wander from him. Sin demands a penalty. When we carry out the act of treason and rebellion against the Lord, known as Sin. When we break, even if you start with the Ten Commandments, when we break one of the Ten Commandments in word or deed or thought or intention, then we separate ourselves from God. God is holy and we are sinful and we are separated from Him. Sin demands a penalty. Jesus is Lord and Savior. There's only one way to be saved. There's only one way to the Father, and that is through the Son. Turn to the next page with me. 
page 5, there is a character and a nature of saving faith. Real faith is always accompanied by repentance from sin. So are you saying my works save me, Pastor? No. What saves you is faith in Jesus Christ. But true faith will always bring forth a changed life. Period. True repentance always follow is always followed by a changed heart and a changed life. All right? So what is our response? If you died tonight and God asked you, why should I let you into heaven? What would be your response? You've got to answer that for yourself. Is that response good enough for him to let you in? What would be your response? And is that response good enough for him to let you in based off of what we have said thus far? There's three things you have to do. Believe, believe that Jesus died in our place, paid for our sins, was buried and rose from the dead. Repent. Repent means to have a change of mind. Repent is to turn away from your life of sin and selfishness and turn toward Jesus. And then follow him. Listen, folks, we'll we'll get further into this in the next few weeks. But if you've never done that, you're not on your way to heaven. I'm not trying to be harsh. Those are not my words. That's what Scripture teaches. You have to believe. You have to turn from your sin and follow Jesus. Don't make Him the co-pilot. Make Him the pilot. You move out of the pilot seat and let Him be the pilot. Let Him be not just the Savior, but also the Lord, the Master. Be willing to go where He says to go. Do what He says to do. If that's not the kind of faith that you have, it doesn't matter how good of a church member you are, how good of a person you are, how well you're recognized in the community, or how many people in your family believe in Jesus. If you don't believe, if it's never changed your heart, you need to do some business with the Lord today, as soon as possible. I'm not trying to scare anybody. These are just the facts. And I love you too much to not tell you. I saw a video last night of a man who was stuck on the train tracks. I mean, it's just so cliche, but this was a very crummy video from like a, a closed-circuit television capture of a security camera. And this man is truly kind of stuck and hung, and he gets unhung from the railroad tracks, and he realizes his backpack is hung. Well, there's a train coming behind him, and you can't see, but there's these men who've been working, utility workers, who have on the orange get-up and the hard hat, and they come booking it as hard as they can. And there's a train coming behind this guy, Those guys are running alongside the train. This dude still has been over trying to get his backpack. And I'm talking about a man dives across the train tracks, split second away from the train, just wiping them both to nothing underneath the wheels and saves that man's life. They lost the backpack. But he saved that man's life. Folks, that's our call. That's what I'm telling you this morning. There's a train barreling down the track. This isn't a made-up story. I did see that video last night. I couldn't sleep. Had too much to prep for today. And I watched, and I was like, good gracious. It was one of them clip shows. You know what I'm talking about. They show like a zillion clips. That's not a made-up preacher story. I saw it last night. That stuff happens in real life. And you know what else happens in real life? People die, and they either go to heaven or they go to hell. And if we don't tell them about heaven, there's a train that's going to barrel over them. And I don't ever want to stand before the Lord and say, well, you know, I was... I was just real scared about sharing because it might, it might upset some people. It might make some people uncomfortable. They might think, well, golly, I really am lost. 
are, I hope you realize this morning, Jesus loves you. He died for you. And He wants you to give up your life to Him. And in exchange, He will give you life eternal in paradise with Him. That's the best part. So folks, I, I don't know where you stand this morning. I don't know what you were thinking about the church when you came in. But this is where we are. This is where we're going. I hope that you're a part of a local church. Maybe Bethany's not the church for you, but there are plenty to choose from. We need to be a part of a local body of believers. Stand with them. And when we believe in Jesus, that church will validate our faith. So where are you this morning? Are you out there floating? Are you just a toe? Are you just hanging out by yourself in the middle of the road? Or are you part of the body of Christ? Have you ever believed in Jesus? If not, today could be your day. But count the cost. Because it's, it's a big life change. The Lord's asking for your whole life. No holding back. Will you pray with me? Father in heaven, we thank you for your love and your mercy. Thank you that even though we are wretched and terrible sinners, even though my heart wanders, Father, thank you that you made a way in spite of me, in spite of my stupidity, in spite of my rebellion. God, you made a way when there was no way. Lord, and then above and beyond that, you give us the blessing of the church. Lord, no church is perfect. But Father, the blessing of having a family united together in you. That you've chosen to use us as a church to make the manifold wisdom of your glory and your goodness known to all the rulers and all the authorities and all over the world. God, we ask that your spirit would move that we would be the church you have called us to be. That we would respond to the gospel, having counted the cost. We ask all these things in the precious name of Jesus Christ.